Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert. Hey, 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 everyone. Troy Eckert here. Thank you so much for joining the show. This is Talk with the Texan Money and Life. You know, every week I remind myself that uh, the information that I would like to discuss or share with my audience is always critical because one of the things about life is the fact that each one of us have the right and the ability to make a decision on how we spend our time. And so today's topic is actually going to be exactly about that. It's going to be about how to make decisions and how to do it to the best of your benefit. Now, just to remind everyone uh, a little bit about the background, uh, I've been involved in the uh, investment world since 1985. And part of that uh, almost four decades worth of experience has been about working with self-made high net worth investors, millionaires, and the majority of them have had a hands-on ground floor experience or life about how to create wealth on their own. Many of them are self-made because they started their careers. They either had a college degree or they didn't. They had an idea, a business, a plan, and they made a series of decisions throughout their career and life that has resulted in where they're at today. Um, I have been very, very fortunate to be able to share in those decisions because many of the partners that I've had, investors that I've had, have become very close friends And as a result, you spend a lot of time with them talking about good, bad, the ugly, good decisions, bad decisions, what happens when you make no decision. And the reality of it is for all of us is that at the end of the day, whether it's in your personal life or whether it's in your business, decisions are the most critical part of your day because it has to do with a consequence. Now, from a business perspective, and I'm telling everybody like it is, I mean, I love the, uh, the personal aspect of my show. I love being able to give optimistic uh, words of encouragement. I love to provide, hopefully, day-to-day useful information. But candidly, my, my heart and my passion between helping those who may need just to boost up in life and may need to have some great feedback or input from experience, you know, one of my, my major passions is I love to talk about business and success and entrepreneurship and many of the things that I've learned over the last four decades that have helped me along the way. Some of those uh, solutions are things that I have learned. I wish I'd have known them 20, 30, 40 years ago. Sure would have saved me a whole lot of scars and saved me a whole lot of lost money and obviously a whole lot of lost time because you do things uh, in some regards, not because you want to but because you've been forced into a decision that requires now to dig your way out of something. So today we're going to talk about how to make decisions. Now, I will tell you every day, especially with this show, I think about the audience. I think about the feedback I've received from my own partners and investors. I see what the hot topics are for the day. And there are so many critical decisions being made today globally and specifically here in the United States um, with regard to the, the COVID, with regard to the economy, with regard to politics, all the social issues that we're dealing with, um, it, is, it is absolutely a massive uh, buffet of decision-making. And so what I want to do is walk through really four or five ways or things that you must think about when making a decision. Now, the, the question might become to you, why today, Troy? Why, why today on making decisions? Well, In the previous topics and shows that I've had, I get emails, I get phone calls, I get listeners who take the time to send me some feedback, which I love. And most of the time it is, hey, thanks for the information. Now I got to know what to do with it. I mean, you gave me something to think about in raw land development or cryptocurrency or uh, businesses or relationships or debt. There's a lot of things we've talked about, but you never really talk about how I am able to make a decision because the truth is, the majority of people are uh, go through paralysis by analysis. And that's not just a cliche, that's true. Um, I have people in my own company, I have people in my own life that will spend enormous amounts of time gathering data to try to make a conclusive answer. 
And the fact of the matter is, by the time they have gathered as much information as they possibly can get from all the sources they can possibly find, with all the possible variables they possibly can look at, they still come to the same conclusion, which is nothing. They don't make a decision. They're afraid of being right. They're afraid of being wrong. They're afraid of being uh, looked at or scorned or blamed. And so the truth is on decision-making is that when you do make a decision, regardless of what it's about, there are going to be consequences for that decision. So many individuals simply choose to not make a decision about their marriage, about their job, about their social life, about their addictions, about the economy, about taking a risk, not taking a risk. And that just really is not going to help you. I mean, the show is money and life, right? And let's face it, if I wanted the show to be about uh, being a Boy Scout, I'd say Boy Scout in life or being a choir boy in life or being a a preacher in life or any of the the little good-natured roles in life that you can think of, that's what the show would be called. But it's called money in life because money in a lot of regards, regardless of what your thoughts are, money does provide us many things we can't get without money. Freedom, choices, um, we have the ability for travel, we have the ability for time. The more money you make, the more time you have. I mean, you can take a day off if you have money in the bank. You can take a year off if you have enough money and you don't need the job. You can do a lot of things with money that you cannot do without money. And I hear the old sayings, well, if you have money, you got a lot of stress. So what? I got stress when I'm broke too. The reality of it is I'd rather have money and have the choices that come with money than not. So let's talk about decision-making and how money and life work together. So first and foremost, let's assume you're going to have two categories of making a decision. You're either going to be making a decision on something that's personal or you're going to make something on decision based on on business. We're going to leave the the, uh, religious aspect out of it. On the personal side, I'm not going to delve too far into that because it has too many variables that really get into a lot of things that, that I don't really know how to even put them in a, a list of variables, okay? It has ethics, morals, religion, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to focus today on the decision-making aspect, but I only bring up the personal for this reason. I see a lot of individuals who I've talked to, who I've worked with, who I've shared ideas with, who have come to me for advice or come to me for capital to invest, and they have mixed up their personal Uh, aspirations or their personal decision-making with a business decision. They've had an idea. They want to start a company. Uh, This weekend, I had a great time at a baby shower, and the baby shower was at a great little venue. And the venue, um, from all I could tell, the the host was just doing a great job making sure everything was ready and very accommodating. And man, you could just tell all over the way it was being received, they were doing a fantastic job. When I got to the venue, I started noticing things that really – resonated or at least stuck out in my view as the things that were very clear about the owner of the venue and the way the venue was going to be handled. I could tell that the owner of the venue didn't have a lot of money. I could tell the owner of the venue was very proud of the facility by the way it was maintained and clean, but I also could tell they were very much hamstrung. They were they were going to have a venue, not much room for growth, not much room for improvement, but you're going to get 100% of the effort from that venue owner Uh, that you paid for. So that's good and bad, right? As the night went along, and as I began to just observe, and and I'm very detailed OCD to to, to say the least, as I walked around, I finally ran across the hostess and said, "Uh, just curious, uh, do do you know who owns the facility? She goes, well, yes, I'm the owner. Oh, so you're the owner, you're the hostess, you're also doing the cooking, and this is also your crew. So you're kind of an all one-stop shop venue. So we're not just renting the facility, we're renting the facility, you're catering, you're cleaning, you're hostessing, you're servicing. Yes. I said, oh, great. So my conclusion was this individual had made a decision about running a business, but it was personal as much as it was business. It was something that was a passion. She said that. It was something that she wanted to do because that's the career path she wanted to go down. She was making a decision about how she wanted to generate income for her family via her passion. And so you just kind of go into it. Now, the reason I want you to think about it is is that you've got to be very conclusive when you decide is taking a job or opening a business or starting a new invention or creating an idea or trying to get a trademark or patent or or chasing a, a new concept. Is it because you're doing it for a business reason or is it because you're trying to fulfill some kind of a personal idea? Hey, I have a a passion for uh, uh, toy trains. So therefore, I want to set up a toy train store and I want to make it work. And 
And so you end up having a business that you're creating because of your passion on toy trains. But when you really look at it from a strict analytical perspective, there's no way the business makes sense. There's no way it's going to make money. No way it's going to work, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got those two parts of your decision convoluted. So first and foremost, foremost in a decision-making process, you must be clear and you must make your mind up. Is it business or is it personal or is it both? And it can be both. The second thing is you have to decide what you're going to decide. You must decide what is the problem, what is the solution, what is the hurdle you must cross, what is the idea that you have that requires an analytical decision. Now, I can tell you, I have made very quick, rash decisions in my career. Some have worked out very well. A lot of them have been disasters. And the truth of the matter is, being older and 40 years in the business, I now look back and go, boy, I would have made a lot of decisions differently today than I would then, not just because I know the outcome, but because the way the decision process was made. So for me, when you have to make a decision, the first thing I have to decide is, what am I going to decide? So let's use a business. Let's say I want to start a laundromat business. I want to actually open a laundromat, the old coin-operated laundry. I want to put it in a part of town where people probably don't have their own uh, washer and dryer in the house, or at least there's going to be a a demand for it. And I start going through the process. And I think to myself, you know, when I was younger and I didn't have enough money, I didn't live in a nice neighborhood, I didn't have enough money to have my own washer and dryer, um, I could have really enjoyed having a, a nice laundromat in my area. I hear from a business side, they're great cash flow. I hear they're easy to operate. The new machines are so easy to put in. They're very hardy. I can invest in the laundromat business. And at the same time, it kind of fulfills one of my passions, which is giving other people the chance to use that facility and et cetera, et cetera. So the question then becomes, what are you deciding? Are you deciding that you want to be in the laundromat business? Are you deciding the laundromat business is the right business for deploying your capital? Are you deciding that the laundry business is a good business because you were once a laundromat customer and you think it's a great idea because other people could use it? Or is it a combination of all the above? Because they are very distinct answers and they're very distinct decision-making processes. One, I might decide, do I even want to be in the laundromat business? Well, that, that's a whole list of criteria of questions and answers I have to come up with. How much capital, how much time, location, commitment, risk. If I decide I want to do it because it's a passion, well, then I'm saying, well, I'm not so interested in the profit. I just want to make sure it's sustainable so I can provide a service for people in a a less lower income neighborhood because I would have liked to have had that. And so it's more of a philanthropic uh, uh, approach. Maybe you'll make some money, maybe not a lot of money, maybe you won't do anything but break even, but it's part of that decision. So you've got to decide what you need to decide and be very clear. By the way, you need to write these down because just thinking it out in your head, well, your head wanders. Most people are OCD or they forget about the details. So writing things down is critically important. The next part of your decision-making is you've got to define the idea or the plan of the process. So what is the idea? Is the idea that you're going to open up one laundromat or are you going to open up five laundromats? Is the idea you're going to open up a laundromat and do it like everybody else and just have the same basic services? Or are you planning on having something that is a, a service beyond or an a, a experience that goes beyond a normal laundromat? Um, the process. You're going to have to write down in some kind of flowchart. How do you define the area that you want to be in? How do you decide how big the laundromat is? How many machines you're going to buy? What does the economics look like? How many other competitors are in the market? So once you decide what you have to decide, then you've got to write down clearly what your idea is what the plan is, at least the initial plan, and what the process is if you decide to go forward to make that plan work. And the, the next thing on the list, I think, is going to be what I call a T-bar. And, and all I look at is normally you have a, a pro and con, right? So you have a, a line down the middle of your page. You have a straight line at the top horizontally. You say all the good things about this idea on the left, all the bad ideas on the right, and you write until you just can't think of any more. So you might find that by the time you're done writing down the pros and cons, you actually have Um, 25 good things why you should do the business and only five things why you shouldn't do the business. Does that mean you should do the business? Absolutely not. That means you now have taken one more step in the decision-making process. So this can be anything from deciding to invest in an oil and gas well, to buying a piece of real estate, to selling your own personal family business, it could do, uh, be down to whether you join a partnership with a buddy or friend and decide to do another business. This T-bar allows you the freedom, uninhibited, to just let your brain work on what are all the things that can go wrong or that might be 
a, um, a losing proposition if I decide to go left, which is going to be the, the con side. And the pro side is what's all the good things that can happen? What can happen positive? And so you'll have to make that decision. Now, I would, I would challenge you to put a third, a second line vertically and add a third column. And the column is unknowns. See, we always put down pros and cons, but what we forget is we don't know what we don't know. And that unknown can be anything from, I don't know if there's going to be a new invention that puts or makes laundromats obsolete. I don't know if Amazon comes out tomorrow and says, we're going to do home delivery on laundry and put everybody out of business. I don't know if they're going to come up with a new type of fabric that doesn't wrinkle and no one needs laundry anymore. And it's you know required by law that you buy that fabric to save water and save chemicals. So there is a ton of unknowns and you might add that third category into the unknown because you don't know. Let me just use a simple example. I see a lot of highway repairs around the state of Texas. All of a sudden you buy a piece of property. It looks great. looks like you're going to put a business in there. Unbeknownst to you, 12 months later, the Texas Department of Transportation decides to put in a new off-ramp, completely bypasses your property, bypasses the ability for anybody to enter in and do business with you. And you now have a landlocked parcel of land. That was unknown. I did not know that could happen, but that might be something as you're brainstorming, you sit down and say, what about ingress, egress? What about accessibility? What about change of use? What if the guy next to me creates an unfavorable business that, that detracts people from coming to my business? So I, I would challenge you that in your decision-making process, you allow for the unknowns because it is something that I think you should think about and share. And the last one is, and I think this goes down to just who you are as a person, it's your level of desire. Um, I hear people all the time when I'm talking to them say, hey, listen, I would love to be rich. I'd love to have my own business. I want to have my own paycheck and freedom. And I can come and go on my own vacation. I go, oh, that sounds all great. Unfortunately, that's not how it works, at least not from an entrepreneur standpoint. So whether you're employed as a W-2 employee, you're a consultant, you own your own business, there's a level of desire. And the desire is you can put down all the details you want in, in categories one through four in this decision-making aspect. But at the end of the day, you've got to decide do I really want to, to actually take proactive action on the decision, on the process, on the ingredients? Do I really want to do anything about it? Because I, I have an idea book at home and I literally take ideas that I think of. I write them down in this book and I've had that book for 30 years and I write it down. And each time I revisit that book, I go in and I write down things I like or don't like or what's changed, what's not changed. And I continually work on it because what I'm trying to do is almost like uh, getting yeast for bread. I'm letting it sit up to see if it rises or falls. And if the idea continues to rise, then I know it might be the right idea. And if it continues to deflate or find more obstacles or reasons not to do it, then I made the decision by allowing it time to sit there and rise like yeast. And so for me, the level of desire is just like yeast. The higher it rises, the more desire I have. And that desire can be purely personal, meaning I just want to do it. Or it can be that the economic environment, the marketing environment, the, the, the culture of the environment has changed. So the idea becomes better and better as it stands uh, using the parameters that I have. Now, what I want to do is I want to set you up for the rest of the show in the second half. So I'm going to talk about how you might be able to try to create a analytical way of looking at your businesses or at least your decision-making process. And so, you know, there's things called a, a decision matrix. The decision matrix is really just a table that helps you to evaluate the different options about your decision. So let's say I'm trying to decide if I want to buy a car. Well, what categories would I have in that decision matrix? Well, it's going to be how much cash do I have? What type of car? How old a car? how fuel efficient is the car, it might be accessibility of the car, repair. I mean, you could come up with a whole category and you could create a matrix that says each one of the categories, I'm going to give a value to it. And that value could be one to five. Five means absolutely it's perfect for me buying a car. And a one means it's clearly telling me to avoid buying the car. It's not in my favor. So let's just say that is the, the matrix that I've created. And so the reason you do the matrix is that you are going to have subjectivity. I mean, you're going to have the decision of influencing the answers because you're going to put down the, 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 the number. But what it does do is it gives you the, the categories of things you should think about. And then you get to selectively choose, however you come up with that selective number, how to quantify it. So you might go down that car buying matrix and say, you know, 
uh, how bad do I want a car? On a scale of one to five, five. I need a car. I'm on foot. I got a job. I got to have a car, period. It's, it's a five, five plus. Okay, great. Next one is how much can I afford to pay? Is it more or less than 5,000? So are, you know, can I spend up to $10,000 for car because I need a used car to start with? A used car to start with. And the reality is, you know, I don't have that much money. So, you know, I'm probably at a three. I, I, I don't have 10,000. I don't know if I can get 10,000. If it costs 10,000, am I better off taking the bus for a while till I really truly have enough money to buy that more expensive car than I can afford? So you give it a three. And you go right down the list and you figure, let's just use 10 categories in that decision-making matrix. And if each one's a five, my perfect score would be a 50. And you might give yourself some kind of a pre-desired total quantitative number for you to go for. So out of a 50, I'd like at least 80%. I'd like to have a a score of 40 or higher to at least tell me buying a car is the right thing to take to the next step. If it's below 40, doesn't matter, unemotional. If it's a 39, the answer is no. 39 and a half, the answer is no. 39.9, the answer is no. Why? The idea of a decision process in a decision matrix is to allow you to be as unemotional as you can because at the end of the day, emotions can be good by picking the winning lottery ticket, using your last part of your paycheck to do it. It could be buying another car dealership. It could be buying another tractor implement. It could be about buying more investments in a, in a cryptocurrency that you like. So there is... A lot of emotions that can be very positive, but there's also probably at least three to one decisions made emotionally that turn out bad. And the reason why that is, is that normally decisions that are good are something that you have an insight to, a gut feeling about, or a passion about. The decisions that we generally make that are wrong, or at least that turn out poorly, are those decisions that involve things that we are limited in knowledge about, very little as far as expertise or experience. Uh, Maybe it's outside the realm of our comfort level, both intellectually or or capital-wise. And all these things that may not be within our wheelhouse, but we decide because I pitched it well, it sounds good, everybody else is doing it. Um, I just want to be, you know, FOMO, fear missing out. I just want to do it because everybody else is doing it. We start allowing emotions into our decision-making process. We're going to find that we like to skew the numbers So that way, the numbers are not really empirical. They're more about emotions, and those emotions, I think, three to one end up getting us burned. I've done it many times myself. I use emotions. I'm smart enough. I don't care about the variables. I can overcome that. If it goes bad, I can save the ship. Well, that's not true. What really should have happened, looking back after 40 years, had I applied true empirical analysis in a matrix, there's probably seven out of 10 investments or decisions that I've made over my lifetime, my business career, that I look back on now and say they never would have happened. I never would have invested. I never would have started that business. I would have said clearly there is a major flaw. Therefore, I'm not going to go forward. Now, that's that's important because I think when you think about a matrix, what are you really trying to do? You're trying to establish choices. And the choices can be yes or no, A or B, And it can be about probable outcomes. If I choose to set up the variables that are going to help me make this decision and I come up with 10 business ideas and I run this 10 variables that each one of the 10 business ideas, I now get to look at 10 business ideas using the same variables and go down and look at the end up uh, looking at the final analysis. Only one out of the 10 ends up with a score of 85 or higher. 85 was my minimum number. Therefore, the other nine end up becoming a no-go using empirical brain instead of an emotional brain. And the one that remains doesn't mean I'm going to pull the trigger and do it. It means it passed the first test before being called. Now I'm down to one out of 10 ideas. So now I have prioritized. I have prioritized those 10 businesses based on the unemotional analysis. And that there gives me the ability to say, Now I can spend the time and the energy to dig deeper into each one of those categories that I have, the 10 variables, to decide, did I score them correctly? Now, what does that mean? It means the work has just begun. Once I make the choices and once I use the matrix to help me come up with a quantitative answer, now I have to prioritize those. So we use the matrix to come to conclusions. We want to avoid emotions as much as we can. Not our gut instinct. I'm talking emotion. There's a difference between gut instinct and emotions, right? And we want to also be able to sit down with a third party 
that can look at our analysis and understand that we use logic and we use sound thinking and judgment to come to the conclusion to go forward with a particular idea. So for me, I should be able to sit down with those 10 variables. I should be able to express those variables in my, my conclusion. In this case, the 10 out of 10, I only had one that passed an 85 score and show it to somebody I respect, a CPA, a business partner, a friend, somebody that I think has enough uh, background, they can look at it and, and clearly come up with an idea if I'm right or wrong, or at least I'm in the right direction. But if I can't do that by showing it to a third party, really, it's going to be a difficult time for them to understand if I've made the proper analysis. So look, this is Troy Eckerd. I am the uh, uh, guy that has talked with the techs and money in life. I'm talking today about decision making, making the right decisions, learning how to make decisions, because at the end of the day, with money in life, every single day, we're making decisions about money that does affect our life. I'll see you guys in the back half of the show. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Talk with a Texan, Money and Life. To reach Troy Eckerd or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwiththetexan.com. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back. Let's get started. I think we're on a great topic. I can tell by the feedback and response that everyone is enjoying it because, quite frankly, this is probably one of the hardest things for people to do. And that is, is to come up with the proper solution or proper decision when facing uh, tough topics. So, again, uh, the show today is about decision making and how to do it unemotionally. We're focusing mostly on uh, the business side of it. But, you know, I, I can tell you, there's no way to avoid the personal side of any decision because we're talking about your life. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your money. We're talking about things that are directly affecting you. So when I say money in life, as I mentioned every single show, without money, we have a lot of limitations in how we live our life. Um, it's not that life is all about money. But having that money does give us the freedom. So we've got to be very careful in the decisions that we make about how we earn money, invest money, make money, spend money, because making the wrong decisions can be absolutely crippling, not only to our ability to have a safe, economic, or prosperous life, but it can be devastating to the point it can affect us health-wise because of stress and time and commitment. And I think that's why I focused on the decision-making process in this show today. So what we were talking about prior to taking the break, is we're talking about the different things that are involved in the decision making. Now, I'm going to give you an example of the way I created one of my decision matrix and the way I evaluated some decisions I had on a particular real estate uh, project or idea. 
And when I began looking at the decision-making process, the first thing I had to decide is, do, did I or do I want to go forward with this real estate project and this real estate idea? And when I came to the conclusion in my thinking, yes, I wanted to go forward. Yes, I thought it was a good idea about this particular uh, real estate project. I then had to come up with a, a set of variables that helped me come to that conclusion, but do it without having emotions. Couldn't be in love with the property, couldn't love be, be in love with the idea. Had to be, had to be, in my view, very empirical, very mathematical, very statistical, very realistic about what I was going to do buying the property, developing the property, selling the property, and all the things that we're going to go into. So I created this nice little Excel spreadsheet and I said, look, if I get ready to pursue this particular property, what are some of the things I need to think about? Now, the property was going to include, at the end of the day, a business that was going to go on the property. So the first thing I said is, is the business necessary to make the real estate work? In other words, if I bought the real estate, would it stand on its own two legs? Or did it require the purchase of the real estate and then require me to make the business successful so the real estate could be justified? Because that really came down to two different decisions. Is the investment in the piece of real estate a good decision, yes or no? And is it smart to buy real estate that if in fact the vertical business that was going to be placed on the real estate was required, was that also a smart decision to put myself into a two-step process to be successful? That was one of the categories. Second category had to do with what kind of customers was I looking for? And was the market sufficient for those type of customers in the area that the real estate was involved in? Did I have enough in the way of demand for the land, demand for the property, and demand for the business and its product if, in fact, I decided to go to the second step, which was to go vertical and make the business work. Capital. How much capital was going to be required? How much did I have to put in cash? How much did I have to finance? What was the cost of finance? What were the terms of the finance? What was the risk in taking out financing if I did it? If I chose to pay all cash, was that the best use of my cash? Was it more cash than I wanted to give up? Was it cash that I could afford to park and, and put in a particular piece of real estate? with maybe an uncertain outcome. Um, how long was it gonna be until I cash flowed? How long did it take to buy the property, put the vertical business in place and begin to cash flow? Because at the end of the day, I need cash flow or desire a rate of return on my money to justify the outlay of that capital. How much was in the way of regulatory hurdles? How, many, how much was it gonna take for annexation and permitting and zoning and, and all the different things and getting the permit approved and the plans approved what was the time frame involved? Was this something I could do in 18 months or was it going to take me five years? And was that acceptable based upon all the economics and the underlying categories it was involved? Was there an exit strategy? Exit strategy was twofold. Was there an exit strategy for the land? If I bought the land and something turned detrimental to the vertical business, was the land still something I could turn around and liquidate if I needed to? And what did that time frame look like? How hard was it going to be to sell the land? Was I going to be able to sell the land for what I paid for it or more? Or was it going to be something I had to take a loss or haircut on because no one else could see the land worth what I paid for it because they weren't planning on putting the same vertical business on it that was part of my business decision making? Um, how hard was it to start this business? What was going to be required in it? How much of my time was going to be involved? Was there a key man sensitivity? Did the business and the land require a key man? Let's say I needed an engineer and without that engineer, I couldn't run the business and that engineer had agreed to possibly come on board. But if he quit one day, was that going to leave me with a dysfunctional business sitting on a piece of specific real estate that without that engineer, both the business and the real estate became uh, higher in risk and jeopardy of loss of capital as a result. And so there's several more categories under this, but I want to point out that I put these categories into an Excel spreadsheet. I created a, a, a matrix. And I started quantifying it with a one through 10 uh, analysis item by item. And at the end of the day, when I was finished with it, concluded with it, um, there was uh, 12 categories. So 120 was a perfect score. And the property came in at roughly 103. That was not sufficient for me. It needed to be at least 110 or higher because I had a very high criteria or high threshold on this particular matrix because it was a two-step decision was the land acquisition and the business. And I couldn't separate them 
because the land was of no value to me without the business on it. I had other real estate choices that were more attractive. And so I had to make that decision as kind of a wrapped up two-phase real estate decision. Buy the land, but it must have the business. My conclusion was it did not score high enough. My conclusion was that as a result of this unemotional empirical analysis, I did not have the right score. Now, you could cheat and you could go back and say, well, I should have given that one a nine. I gave it a seven. I could have given that one an eight. I gave it a five. What I had trained myself to do is not to skew the numbers. I go with my gut instinct. I go with whatever I have available as far as analysis and information. At the time I do the matrix, I put down the number with the, with the bottom line conclusion. Am I being absolutely fair and honest about the analysis? And I don't really care what idea or what decision doesn't pass the threshold. I care more about using the decision matrix in order to avoid catastrophic decisions. I don't want to do something that is a terminal failure, both in investing my money, running my life or my career, et cetera. Now, again, since this is more tailored toward business, um, I do have to give it the human element, such as I really wanted this property. I liked the property. I liked the idea. I loved the concept. I was excited about it. I really thought the business would do really, really well. In fact, I happened to talk to a really good partner this weekend about an idea I've been brewing on for a decade. I think it's going to make a lot of money. I think it's going to work really, really well. And the partner that I talked to, who's becoming a very good friend, said, yeah, but let me throw water on your fire. And he starts going down about four or five different uh, fire hoses of water that he was pouring on my idea. And after I got off the call after 20 or 30 minutes, I got off and I go, you know, what he really did was he took my idea that I had not put through the matrix yet. And he gave me about three or four terminal key points that needed to be added to the variables. When I put it in the matrix, that would automatically kill it. In other words, I didn't even have to get it to the matrix because the input from somebody in the same business gave me three or four things to think about that either A, I didn't want to do because I didn't want to be involved in that kind of a, a fatal a terminal failure kind of a, a process. Or number two, it gave me a reality check saying, yeah, he's right. He's right. This deal fails not because of emotion, but it fails because before it ever gets to the drawing board, it doesn't make any sense. So many of you are out there thinking, hey, I'd love to run a restaurant. I'd love to run a car dealership. I'd love to do a landscape business. I'd love to do. We see all the deficiencies out there. We see all the people who are doing things wrong. And if we're kind of the more uh, self-starter, more entrepreneur-minded kind of individual, we always think, well, I can fix that. What I'll do is I'll do it myself and I'll show them how to do it. And that's really a problem. That's a problem for entrepreneurs because at the end of the day, I don't think our job is to fix things. I mean, maybe on a, on a socio level, maybe we want to fix homeless, maybe we want to fix you know, starvation, maybe we want to do things like that. But I think from a, the way the show is created, Money and Life, I want to talk to you about how to use your money to give yourself a better life and through that better life might be able to give you the money to do philanthropic things and be very generous with your money. So I want to just point out that the key here is whether you take the idea or the decision, put it into a decision matrix, or you gather enough data that during that data gathering process, you have already made the conclusive answer. Now, I can guarantee you, maybe some of you already dropped off the show thinking, God, this is as boring as watching paint. Some of you may be taking notes and writing down saying like, good idea, good idea. Let me tell you how I see it. I can come on the show and I can act and scream and holler about politics and I can scream and holler about social issues and I can scream and holler about everything under the sun. Um, or I can do what I do every week to week and I can think about ways and ideas and suggestions and things that you can use to make your life better and stronger and more successful. And sometimes just like me doing a review on my taxes with my CPA, it's like taking a hammer and nail and driving it through my hand 20 times an hour that seems more enjoyable than going through my taxes and all the details. It's just, it's, it's, it's painful. Not because I don't care, but I really just want the bottom line. I want to know how I did, what I owe, what I need to pay, what I can do to be better next year, et cetera, et cetera. So with that being said, it's kind of like the show today. Decision-making is not something that most of us uh, gunslingers like to hear about. We want to go, look, I'm using my guts. I know I should buy that. I should flip this. I should do this, buy that real estate. I know I can get rid of it. And we have a tendency to shoot from the hip. We just do whatever we think is right because that's what's made us successful entrepreneurs. 
Now, this show is not just to entrepreneurs. It's also to young uh, people that, that are maybe sub 40 years old that are out there saying, I want to decide, should I leave the engineering firm I'm working for that has a nice salary, that has a nice benefits package, that I've got a great stable job, I could be here the next 10 years. And they're trying to decide, should I leave my job and start my own consulting engineering practice? Well, this is the kind of decision making that you need to put down on paper and you need to have some way of saying what's going to be involved in that. And I need you, the person making that, that process of decision, you need to know that you can do this. You can sit down and put it on paper and you can come up with a conclusive answer that maybe you want to share with your wife or your husband and say, I want to leave. Here's what I did. I come up with a matrix. I've got a number. I've got a decision. I want to see if you can see it and if you have the same or similar kind of expectation or output that I did, or if I missed something, because now you're going through something that is really critical. And that is you're going through persistent analysis to the point of at least seeing if you have any fatal flaws. And I started off by saying, we don't want to be in this paralysis by analysis. I mean, I've got, I've got people that work for me sometimes that they won't make a decision. So you're asking for a decision and they literally are frozen with their feet in the ground and in ice. They just won't move. Now, that's not truly a decision maker. That is uh, an army. That's somebody who's going to do the work for you or with you, right? I'm talking to those of you listening today that really do make your own decisions about uh, investing and about uh, asset classes and about business startups, about philanthropic activity. And, and you are the person I want to talk to about how you can make your life better through money and life. So let me go through a few of the lessons that I've learned about the decision-making process. Right. Number one, don't ignore red flags. You know, your gut instinct is going to be right 9.9 .9 out of 10 times. I don't know why. I don't know why it's inherent in the human body. But when that red flag or that itch on the back of your neck starts to really scratch, you need to really start scratching it. There's a reason. There's something wrong. And I can look back over 37 years of being in this investment environment, and I can tell you, 9.9 .9 out of 10 times when I had that itch in my palm, my, my back was hurting. I just couldn't get comfortable with the person, the idea, the situation. Every time I did not step back, it cost me money and failure, and virtually every time. And I can go back and look at it and say, had I stuck with my gut instinct or if I had paid attention to the red flags, I would have saved myself not just money, but I would have saved myself hundreds, if not thousands of hours of grief. Because once you step into that, that tar, you're got, you've got tar stuck to your foot forever until you can get it all off. It takes forever to get tar off your foot. So you don't want to say yes and go forward on something that the red flags, the, the warning signs are clear as day or the back of your hair on your neck and the hair in the back of your neck is, is sticking up and you go, something's not right. You're better off saying, I don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong. And I'm just going to pass. The answer is no. Hey, do you want to come invest this? The answer is no. I just don't feel good about it. You can talk until the cows come home. I don't care. I'm not doing it. You're going to have to learn to trust your gut instinct. That's number one. Number two, don't get emotional. Don't let somebody convince you, hey, look, man, you put a laundromat over here. There's nobody around. The neighborhood needs. It's a great deal. You're going to make a lot of money. You need to be unemotional because at the end of the day, emotions are exactly that. They're in motion. They move. And so in order for you not to have a, a movement in the way you, the emotions you feel, you need to have something that's concrete or as a foundation. That foundation can only be built on the things that are not variable. I want to know how much capital does it take to do a laundromat? Well, is it 50 grand? No, it's $250,000 minimum. Do I have that money? Can I get my hands on that money? What's it going to cost me to get the money? Do I have to have partners? Do I want partners? So if it's 250000 decide how hard, how important, what ways, how expensive, how much risk can you tolerate, all goes into that one variable, the $250,000 decision to start a laundromat. You can't do that with emotions because, as I said, in that word, emotion is the word motion, which means it's ever-changing. Don't want that. Okay? It is just as easy. Now, listen, this is important. You need to work just as hard in finding out why the idea will fail as you do about why it's going to be a great big success. And I don't see that. I have entrepreneur after entrepreneur, person after person come to Troy and say, I really want to talk to you about a business idea. And I always start off with, great idea. Sounds good. How's it going to fail? What do you mean? It's not going to fail. It's a great idea. 
No, I want to know how it will fail. Well, this could happen and this could happen. Oh, but it won't ever happen. Really. So who's going to take your place if you get hit by a bus in the parking lot 30 minutes after I give you the money and it goes in the bank? Uh, what do you mean? Well, let's just say the business doesn't fail. Let's say you, the key person to make this business idea succeed, you get hit by lightning tomorrow and you can't work, you can't run the business. Now, what do I do? So the idea for you or any decision, whether it's, like I said, it's a business decision, making an investment, stopping working as a W-2 employee, starting your own consulting business. The question you have to say is, if I stop working for that engineering firm and I decide to start my own consulting firm, what happens if I get sick the day after I do it? How does my family eat? How do I generate money? What's my backup plan? You have to think about just as adamantly the things that can go wrong and why it will fail as why it will succeed. In fact, I think you ought to think more about why it will fail than why it will succeed. Because if it succeeds and it does better than you think, that's a good thing. But if it fails and it fails more detrimentally or if it fails in a worse condition or status than you thought, it can be crippling for life financially or emotionally, right? What's the next thing? Well, what part of this decision matrix, so let's say you create the decision matrix, what part of the decision matrix do you actually see as being something that is in or out of your control? For example, I don't control regulatory hurdles. I can't tell me when the local planning and zoning changes their mind. I can't decide when the federal government has executive orders from the president of the United States. I can't decide on a lot of things. There's a lot of businesses that are gone this year because of COVID in 2020. There's a lot of businesses that are being affected, none of their own doing. They had no choice and it's crippled them or put them out of business forever and it literally has destroyed their business. So you need to go down your own matrix and put in there, is it in your control or out of your control? What would be in your control? Cost of capital. I'm only going to put in $250,000. That's all I'm going to put in. I'm not putting a dime more. If the business fails, I refuse to put another dime in no matter what. I am going to make a financial limit on what I invest. That's a factual thing that's within your control. How about your role or your involvement? I'm not going to be involved at all. I'm going to do this as a passive owner. I'm going to hire the management. I have no time. I have no desire, but I think it's a great business. Well, that's factual, meaning you're not going to do it. So these are things you need to decide in the decision-making process what is in and out of your control. And don't kid yourself and blow smoke by saying, oh, I can control that. I can control the bank when I get a loan. I could give you hours and hours and hours of experience with lenders and bankers where the rules change and your covenants change because the conditions change and that bank doesn't care what they agree to. They care about what they're going to do in getting their money back. All right, let's talk about the next most important thing. What is the defined threshold of your commitment to any decision? Hey, I want to quit my job. I want to become my own consulting engineer. Really? Well, how committed are you? Well, I, oh, I'm only working eight to five every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Hmm. Did you know that most consultants probably work 60 to 100 hours in a week time because that's what it takes to survive when you work for yourself? Do you know that running that laundromat is not just going in and opening up the machines and collecting the coins? It's maintenance, repair, it's, it's damage, it's, it's uh, graffiti, it's, it's robbery, it's, it's destruction. There's a lot that goes into it. So you got to decide what your threshold of commitment is, not only just in time, but in money. Because one of the things that's hardest to do is if you raise horses is knowing that you have a horse that's lame or that has a health condition that you have to put that horse down to be humane. And you're saying, I paid $25,000 for that horse and the horse has broken its leg. Yep. And you've got to put it down and euthanize that horse to do the correct thing. So do you care more about the 25,000 or the next 10,000 you think you can put them in a sling and a cast? Or do you look at it from a realistic standpoint and say, I have to define my time my financial exposure. And the last thing I want to talk about, just like as we wrap up this show, is I want to talk to you about the one thing most people do not have. And it's very, very critical. At my company, we have a strategy called AML. AML stands for aggregation, maturation, and liquidation. And I've always been good at aggregating. I aggregate fractional assets or ideas. Let's say I want to buy a, a dry cleaning business. Well, there might be a hundred of them in the area that I'm in. How many of those single standalone laundromats could I buy? Well, I could buy 10, 20, 30, 40. So that's, I could aggregate them and have one consolidated business and I can consolidate management. I can consolidate all the cleaning at one site. I can aggregate. The maturation is, is maturing of the idea, letting the idea be put together. So if you become an independent consulting engineer, do you allow yourself a certain time frame before you bring on a second engineer, third engineer, fourth engineer, where they're being charged out at a higher rate and you're making a profit off of each hour that they do. So the maturation is the maturing of the business idea, maturing of your idea, allowing those stocks to mature, allowing that cryptocurrency to mature, allowing that real estate to mature 
And you have to have a re realistic aggregation point. You have to have a realistic maturation or maturity point. And the one decision I find that nine out of 10 people never even think about is the L part, the liquidity part, the liquidation part. So the liquidation part is simple. What's your plan to get out? Well, I don't want to get out. I want to own this business till I die. It's not true. I've had hundreds of partners die over the last 30 years and very few had a plan. They didn't have an estate set up. They didn't have heirs to take over the business. They didn't have a way to sell it. And what you find is that they die. They leave the business to the kids, the family estate. They don't know how to run it. They run it into the ground. They cut it up and carve it off and sell it. And so <clears throat> one of the things in your decision is you need to have the final consequences. What's the consequence? Well, if I'm successful in buying all these laundromats, what is the strategy and what's the liquidation? The liquidation might be when I get to 30 businesses and I get them to a certain threshold of cash, I'm going to seek to sell them all as a single asset sale because at that point in time, I can make a rate of return that is where I want to be. And I can also liquidate the entire portfolio, which gives me the capital, the profit. And now I have my hands free and clear to take the money and the proceeds and do what I want. By having a liquidation strategy, it doesn't tie you down that you have to stick with it, but it gives you a conclusive circle in the decision-making ring, which is start, middle, and finish. And the same thing happens in our life. We have to have a start, a middle, and a finish. So whether it's estate planning, life insurance, or selling of our business or ideas, you got to have those exits. Every week, I'm going to come to you with thought-provoking ideas and suggestions, and you take from it what you want. But let me tell you why I do this show. I do this show because I love the feedback I get, and I love the fact the audience has given me great ideas and content. And I want you to leave this show today, talk with the text and money in life, knowing one thing. If I can help you, I will. Give me those suggestions. Let me give you that feedback. At the same time, take little tidbits, one show at a time. Start asking yourself, can you put it to work today to make yourself a better life with more money? And those two together means freedom and means independence. Hey, this is Troy Eckert. Talk with the tax and money in life. You guys have a great day and thank you so much for your time. Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.